On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Over the years, Kevin Smith has entertained us with tales of his Jersey friends and enough dick and fart jokes to fill you right up to the snoochie boochies. This time around, the king of Jersey cinema is going to punch you right in the feels and you're going to like it. So sit back and relax because it's our intention to prove to you that Jersey Girl is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. Now, full disclosure here, my beautiful wife, Carrie, and I are both Kevin Smith fans. So as we were kind of picking as to which movie we were going to talk about this week, we went down the Kevin Smith list of films. And there, with a disgustingly low tomatometer was Jersey Girl. And that kind of surprised us. Uh, so first of all, my beautiful wife, Carrie, is here on the other microphone. Carrie, how are you doing today? I am doing just fine. Just fine. Just fine. So when we were going through all the Kevin Smith films and we saw the Jersey Girl actually qualified, uh, what was your initial reaction on that? First of all, I don't think any Kevin Smith film should even be on our radar because they're all so much fun um this one was such a diversion from the smith verse that mm-hmm. that the, is the view universe right um so i can only hazard a guess that i don't know maybe having kevin smith's previous um i don't know filmography attached to you know critics expectations and then he comes out with something so incredibly touching Mm -hmm. they were probably like what where where did that come from it's so out of left field it's it would be kind of like if you know in the height of like the original trilogy star wars films george lucas decided he was going to do his own version of like a nine and a half weeks and like no No, Wookiee's having sex. No, bad, bad. Yet this film had just enough nuances of what you would tend to expect from a Kevin Smith film, which was lovely. Like, Mm -hmm. it didn't take itself too seriously, um, even though the subject matter obviously was... It's arguably one of his most mm-hmm. most serious films in his in his entire filmography. Um, but before we get too deep into talking about Jersey Girl, it is time to take this little snippet of the View Universe and trailerize it. His wife dead. His world collapsed. For Ollie Tricky, the worst is yet to come. Having to move back home with your father in New Jersey. Watch as Ben Affleck has his life completely rearranged thanks to the power of Will Smith. Which nowadays sounds like a Batman movie sequel starring Deadshot from Suicide Squad. Affleck learns life lessons from a cavalcade of actors like the girl who got busy in a record store at Empire Records. A guy who knows all seven dirty words. And the guy who put his junk in apple pie. Ben Affleck stars in Jersey Girl. Rated PG-13. <laughs> wow i i just took a really heartfelt film and went way wrong with it didn't i <laughs> yeah but you know it was kind of appropriate kind of kind of what we do here, kind of right? works kind of what we do uh first first we make fun first we tear it down and then we bring it back up so it's time to bring it back up but first before we bring it back up we have to know what we're dealing with so this film stars ben affleck Liv tyler raquel castro George Carlin, Jason Biggs, 
Stephen Root, Mike Starr, J-Lo herself, Jennifer Lopez, uh, a cameo from Will Smith, and a bunch of other Kevin Smith regulars sprinkled here and there somewhat judiciously. However, there is an almost starred. Originally, the part was uh, the part of Maya, as played by Liv Tyler, was originally written for Eliza Dushku. But then as they were kind of casting it, they're like, yeah, no, you know what? Um, apparently, quote unquote, she would have looked like Affleck's daughter instead of his girlfriend because I guess Elijah Dushku is a fairly tiny girl. So uh, they went with Liv Tyler. I think they chose right in this one, although I, I have a recast idea for that one. Uh, but we'll get to that one a little bit later. Um, the role of Arthur Bankman as played by Jason Biggs was originally supposed to be Jason Mewes, but there are there there's a list of reasons why he couldn't have been in there. None that we really want to kind of get into too much, but apparently also when Jason Mewes realized that he couldn't do this, Jason Lee also auditioned for this. You know, an, another of the Kevin Smith cavalcade of characters, but Jason Biggs got the role. The whole premise of Ben Affleck's character Ollie Trinke, um, bad mouthing his client, which of course was Will Smith at the time. Apparently the client he was supposed to badmouth was Bruce Willis, but they couldn't secure a deal at the time. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I think it's funnier that it's Will Smith. I can't get over how incredibly timely it is that we're talking about this movie today. <laughs> um, in light of Benefer finally tying the knot, mm-hmm. like, Reports indicate as of this weekend, they're officially married. So congratulations. Um, not only that, but the Will Smith, Chris was, Rock Smackdown. I was about to say, how how would Ollie Trinky spin the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap? I'm, I'm curious about that now. I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> I, I could just see him now on the phone right now. Come on, man. Do you think Chris Rock should really be bitching about getting slapped by the Fresh Prince? No. Um, just, just, <laughs> just, just no. Uh, and apparently the role of Gertrude, which was played by um, Jennifer Lopez, uh, was originally, uh, they were considering Joey Lauren Adams, of course, of Chasing Amy fame. But then, of course, there's one of those things where it's like, yeah, but if we, want, if we paired Joey Lauren Adams with Ben Affleck, again uh we wouldn't really be able to pull away from the chasing amy comparisons which is probably a good thing because chasing amy is one of the most heralded kevin smith films of all time and as much as the chemistry between those two worked um i could see them not wanting to you know dip to the well a second time with those two same two actors but in different character roles yeah, I think there would have been too much expectation there. Mm-hmm. Um, although I would have seen her better suited for the video store clerk. Oh, for Maya. For Maya. Yeah, yeah. I I could see that, but then you, you'd still fall into the chasing Amy kind of comparisons too. I mean, let's be honest: the only two that can get away with being different characters yet still couples in the same film are Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. I would have loved to have seen Alanis. Is the role of Maya? That would have been, you know. Okay, you know what? Since 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 we're recasting Maya here, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's funny. Sorry, Liv Tyler. I just, you know what? I couldn't get past her voice. There's just something. She is very soft spoken in this, and I and I could see that if the role was originally written with Eliza Dushku in mind, I could see you could almost see Eliza Dushku delivering those lines a bit more confidently i think um live tyler is sweet live tyler is is just a um like a very light presence and i think the character of maya needed to be a bit stronger um but i was actually considering you know when you consider around that time Alyssa milano for that role <laughs> any excuse to get an Alyssa Milano movie Oi! I'm calling Oi. you out hey last week you called me out on my Christian Slater fix alright so yeah, fair fair I mean it's, she's she's no Rachel Lee Cook but I mean 
but uh, but I will own that one. I'm I'm not going to lie. I will own that one. But I still think that she could have done a very very good job in that role. Um, of course, it was written and directed by Kevin Smith. And if you watch all the way to the end of the credits, there's actually a really nice tribute that that Kevin Smith put in there, like for his dad, I guess, who had passed away around the making of the film. So, you know, that makes this film hit even that much harder. Um, this, of course, part of the reason probably why this film got you know critic critic hate was because one year prior to the release of Jersey Girl was Gigli in the the midst of Benefer Mayhem Gigli came out and we all know how Gigli was received by the way just for comparison I think Gigli sits at about a six percent tomatometer um this is not me saying I want to do an episode on it but I'm just saying that (laughs) That, yeah, right. That uh, would be a challenge. Right. But they they apparently pushed this movie release date back a year just to kind of distance it a little bit from Gigli. And I think that was the right move per se. Um, but this is definitely not Gigli. This is so not Gigli. Um, but I think that kind of bled into the critical reception of this because this film was nominated for three Razzie Awards that year. Uh, It was nominated for uh, Ben Affleck, nominated for Worst Actor. He lost to George W. Bush from Fahrenheit 9-11. Yeah, he lost to the president at the time who was in the documentary. Is that even fair? The Razzies can do whatever the hell they want. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, because J-Lo was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. She lost to Britney Spears for Fahrenheit 9-11. You're, you're, I, I really wish this podcast was a video podcast because the, the, the absolute look of what the f*** on Carrie's face just kind of says it all. My eyes don't lie. <laughs> 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 So forget about the whole face mask thing and mouthing what the... Yeah. It's... No, my eyes. My <laughs> eyes won't lie. There was there was zero problem with your communication, even with the mask on through the last two years. <laughs> we could see what you were thinking. Um, but it was also nominated for uh, Worst Screen Couple. Um, the nomination was Ben Affleck and, quote-unquote, either J-Lo or Liv Tyler as Worst Screen Couple. They lost... To, and I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even kidding you on this one here. George W. Bush and either Condoleezza Rice or his pet goat. Oh God, is it inappropriate though to say that I think that Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck made a better couple than J Lo and In Ben Affleck? In this film, yes, they did. Yes, they absolutely did. Um, so much for acting, then. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing, though. There were some good accolades in this one. Raquel Castro, who played the role of Gertie, the young girl, she won at the 26th Young Artist Awards for Best Performance in a Feature Film, Young Actress, 10 or Younger. And Jersey Girl was nominated for Best Family Feature Film in the Comedy or Musical category. Uh, It lost to Christmas with the Cranks, which, okay, you know what, a family Christmas film, okay, we're going to give you that one. Uh, But Raquel Castro did win for that role. And that's really, really cool to see because this was actually her first film. Um... However, I have a feeling that the critic ratings probably hurt a little bit at the box office. This film, according to IMDb, had a $35 million budget, domestic gross of $25 million, and a worldwide gross of $35.5 million. So uh, this is like Vegas rules. It broke even. When it was released in domestic theaters, and by domestic, U.S. and Canada, on the March 26, 2004 weekend, it debuted at number five, uh, not even cracking $10 million. Just to give you an idea of the box office that weekend, um, debuting at number one with a $29.5 million take was Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, which... It's a kid's film. 
kids films are going to do well at the box office if a, if a big name kids film is coming out it's probably going to take number one number two that weekend also debuting with a box office take of 12 and a half million ballpark uh the lady killers which was a coen brothers film which also which starred tom hanks um jersey girl i mentioned was at number five there was another uh release that week uh never die alone uh debuted with just under four million dollars at number 11 and if you're wondering what to expect from never die alone i'm just going to say that it stars dmx and david arquette so you just take you you put your life in your own hands on that one here um the critics though over on metacritic it has a 43 metascore and over on yield rt of rotten tomatoes there it has a 43 percent tomatometer and a 48 percent audience score now i want to draw some comparisons here because we are talking kevin smith films and you know fans of the viewisk universe this is kind of what they're looking at here so just going through films that kevin smith was the sole director and writer of okay clerks 90 percent tomatometer Mallrats, 57%. So a bit of a drop there. Chasing Amy, 86% tomatometer. Dogma, 67%. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, 53%. Clerks 2, 63%. So still, at this point, Jersey Girl is the lowest rated film. Super excited for Clerks 3. Right. Zach and Miriam make a porno. 65%. Tusk, 46%. So still better reviewed than Jersey Girl. Jay and Silent Bob reboot, 64%. I'm actually surprised that's as high as it is. Mm-hmm. Only one Viewers Universe film sinks lower than Jersey Girl, and that is Yoga Hosers. Which, how long have I been saying we need to cover that one? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are definitely doing Yoga Hosers on a future episode. We are definitely not doing Geely. Gotcha, mental note made. Um, but I mean, like when you, when you take a look at that, though, I mean, yes, I fully understand that Jersey Girl is very different from what... Um, I, I, by the way, I didn't look up the, the numbers for Red State. Uh, fully admit that one. Um, but Red State is very different from everything else he did. Um, but when it comes to Jersey Girl and what Kevin Smith fans were used to, which is, let's be honest, this was the first film that he wrote and directed that doesn't have Jay and Silent Bob in it. Do you think that that bit of a curveball was what drove critics and audience scores down? I think it was a very good casting choice to not put Jason Muse, and that's... Um, it's unfortunate to say because I do love Jay Moose, like, mm-hmm. but I just think. Also, we're going to talk madness in the method and on this show eventually down yes, the road too. One hundred percent. But if you were to put Jay Muse in this, like in this movie, in any role, even as a role, like I, I almost, um, I was almost kind of kind of shaking my head when I saw Matt Damon and Matt uh, Damon (laughs) (laughs) and um and Jason Lee Jason Lee thank you so much um you know it's almost kind of like it didn't fit in this movie I think um I mean this movie was so great I I don't know I mean aside from the fact that yes it is very different mm-hmm. in subject matter but i mean it's not a bad film like it's a great story yeah um the acting meh okay well you know well j-lo we're, we're, we're gonna get to that in a little bit spoilers <laughs> <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently there is a longer cut where j-lo doesn't like kick the bucket until like 45 minutes in i i kind of like how it was almost, you know what though? <clears throat> I'll argue that I I would have liked to have maybe seen a little bit more of their relationship 
build, it almost kind of seemed rushed, but I, I recognized that it was edited. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did read that there was supposed to be at least a wedding yeah. as part of the 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 scenes that didn't make it yeah i mean i I, i'm not gonna lie i would love to see the longer cut um just because a kevin smith i think is great um but i'd be curious to see how much it differs from the original cut and if the spirit of 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 the story of ollie trinky and gertie um suffers at all from a longer cut because let's be honest sometimes you can have too much right looking at you Zack Snyder like say what you will about Justice League but I don't think I've actually sat down through the entire four hours and I freaking love superhero comic book movies I haven't sat down and watched the entire four hours my butt doesn't have enough padding on it in order to be able to get through all of that in one sitting so it's it's almost like like that big plate where you know you're going to have leftovers for about two or three days. You're like, all right, let's a little bit now, and then this is tomorrow's dinner, and then the the next day's lunch. That's Justice League, the Zack Snyder Justice League, leftovers for days. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, you just turned into a critic. Oh, uh, that's I, everything we're here against. <laughs> pa- pass me the Snickers bar when we start talking about that one. But let's get to the breakdown of this one here. And we have to start with Ollie Trinky himself, Ben Affleck. As I'm watching him, and, and bear me, you know, bear with me here. The beginning of the film, when they're in New York and, he, and he's with Gertrude and all that kind of stuff, and then uh, after she passes and he's, he's he's trying to hold it all together, I'm like, wow, he is really freaking unlikable in this film. And then, you know, time passes, Gertie grows up, and you see him, you know, kind of embracing the role of father and stuff like that, and, you know, kind of starting to leave New York behind kind of thing. I'm like, wow, he's really, really good in this. And, you know, I really like him. And then it kind of hit me. I'm not supposed to like New York Ollie. You're not. He's he's not he's not ready at that point. He, he, Ollie's not ripe at that point, right? He's not he's not ready. And that's got to be a good thing when it comes to Ben Affleck's acting. He made me dislike New York Ollie because there is there's there's New York Ollie and there's Jersey Ollie, right? Jersey Ollie is is kind of a sweet guy. Right? He's become the family man that JLo wanted him to be. He wasn't ready for that as New York Ollie. I hate to say it, but it was almost a good thing for his character that he lost his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yes, I mean, had she not passed away upon the moment her, you know, at childbirth, mm-hmm. like, what would have become of their relationship of, you know, like, I mean, he would have never, assumably, <laughs> never had to leave New York. Mm-hmm. I think she would have just packed and left him. It, it's unfortunate that sometimes, uh, and even in reality, the best thing to happen for someone is to have the, the, the rug being pulled out from underneath you. Right, because that's when you truly discover who you are, kind of thing. And I think that happened for Ollie here. I think that really did happen for Ollie Trinky. Like the not even the humility of having to move back in with his dad in Jersey in order to be able to, you know, to have a place to live and all that. But I mean, I'm sure that's how Ollie looked at it. That that, that his character definitely looked at that as as a tragedy. But in reality, it's probably the thing that saved him and his family. Um, like you see his, and even though he's struggling, he's still struggling. He's still clawing at New York. And like, admittedly, I have never been to New Jersey. We've been to New York. We've been to Manhattan, but we've never been to New Jersey. And we kind of saw that a little bit with Miss Marvel, the TV series. Right, that whole you know, brown girls from Jersey aren't you know aren't going to go out and save the world. But I wonder what that. I honestly like. If, there is a difference between New Jersey and New York, and the fact that you can see one from the other. I, I wonder if there's that kind of thing where people who are in New Jersey they kind of look out at New York and go, "I'm going to go there and make it big." 
I, I, I wonder, I wonder if, that, if, if that's a thing or that if maybe that's just, you know, you know, Hollywood messing with my geographic sensibilities. I mean, that would, that's an interesting question, right? Like, um, it's almost kind of like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could liken it to Toronto being the Mecca of Canada. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's be honest. Toronto is very much Canada's New York City, right? Um, and I'm sure there's probably people who are like, you know, they're, they're, they're either, you know, they, they either don't want to say they're from like, you know, outside of Toronto like or anything. You know, Napanee, like, right? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, Avril Levine. you tell me if you if you proudly say you're from, you know, Napanee or you're from, you know, <laughs> Toronto kind of thing. Um, but let's move on to Liv Tyler, who played Maya. And, you know, we've, we've already mentally done our recasting as, far as to who we think. But, I mean, there is a sweetness to Maya. And I think Liv Tyler does kind of help bring that out a little bit. And there were a couple scenes where I'm like, okay, she really shines in these parts of the role. Like, there's the scene where um, she's trying to be strong when um, Ben Affleck is saying that he's going to move back to New York. And she's trying to play it off. It's like, no, no, we're just friends. She's just friends. And then she goes and runs and cries in the porno room, which uh, crying in the porno room is such a phenomenal <laughs> album title name. Uh, I'm just going to make some, you know, I'm just going to make I an love album. love that song. I love that. I'm just going to make an album of just sick bass tracks. I'm going to call it crying in the porno room and you'll see if it sells. Yeah, no, just no. Uh, no. Now on the Billboard number one charts, crying in the porno room. No, <laughs> just no. Uh, but then there was the other scene. There was uh, you know, the, the Sweeney Todd musical scene at the end at the school. And and she's just delightful in this. I mean, what were your thoughts on Liv Tyler? You know, it's interesting because um, I kind of clicked onto something you said earlier where you had mentioned that she didn't deliver her lines with confidence. And mm-hmm. I tend to disagree because when she was doing that interview in the coffee shop, with Ollie, I felt that she was brimming with confidence and able to make it so believable that, you know, they could become friends with benefits and it'd be no big deal at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Like <laughs> we're gonna have some sex. <laughs> you almost kind of you almost kind of think there is no way in hell they're gonna wind up in a relationship mm-hmm. by the end of the movie because she's just so like matter of fact and almost kind of like treating sex and pornography as like no big deal. Like it's just, you know, just something that people do. And it's, it's as common as eating or breathing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and yet I, I really love that. A, I love the dynamic with, um, with his little, girl with with, with Gertie. Gertie yeah um because they just became almost like an instant family mm-hmm. you know and at that point you just want to see them get together like yeah I mean the in the early scenes with with Liv Tyler as Maya uh I'm like okay I I think I'd rather picture Eliza Dushku in the you know that initial video store scene where she's you know you know kind of you know, playing with Ben Affleck about the the whole renting of uh, Bye Bye Guys kind of thing. Um, but yeah, then when it comes time to the parts where she's, you know, playing the piano at the home and helping with the music and all that, that's when Liv Tyler really shines through. Like when they become like a, basically a pseudo family unit, that's, that's Liv time right there. Uh, and I think a, an excellent choice for that. Um Although I'll still say if it was Alyssa Milano, I'd still be on board. But then again, then again, it's out there right now. <laughs> I busted you for Christian Slater. You can bust me for Alyssa Milano. Okay, let's talk about Pops. Oh, George Carlin. So it, this was a challenge to watch. And I'll admit, I might have tried to watch this movie and do my homework at work. Um, yeah, not advisable no. if you're in a public setting. <laughs> it's so hard to <laughs> smile through the pain. <laughs> I'm okay. Welcome. Welcome. Be friendly and welcoming. 
<laughs> but you come again. <laughs> oh crap, I killed her. <laughs> I've killed the co-host. <laughs> oh crap. Choking. Oh. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Although uh, that being said, at 30 minutes into the record, you lasted longer than JLo. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm dead now. Uh, uh, well, it's been a good ride. Um, uh, so now accepting applications for co host. <laughs> <laughs> you replace me that easily? Uh, at least, at least Ollie gave seven years. You right? Know? Jesus. The Talking Dead. I barely got seven minutes. Oh, I tell you. <laughs> um, no, uh, George Carlin. Yeah. Freaking brilliant. Like, just everything, everything about his performance in this. Um, he, at no point, was unlikable or the alcoholic that Ollie tended to, to, you know, try to paint a picture of. He was just a sweet old guy. Like, he was, he was such a sweetheart. Yeah, but he, but he's the Such tough, lo- the tough love sweetheart. Like the way he interacts with Ollie in this, like you can tell it's we're talking pure love, though. But the thing is, they're both kind of in the same place, right? Ollie and his dad both lost their wives. They're both, you know, putting on a gruff exterior in order to be able to hide the pain that they still feel every day. Like you see a lot of that, that withheld pain hidden by you know smart ass sarcasm and a few beers down at the at the at the bar with his boys look i'm i'm going to put a bold statement out there right george carlin has had some iconic roles and you know specifically the first one that comes to mind is rufus from bill and ted's excellent adventure but even like in uh you know, you know, cameos in Jane Sound the Bob Strike Back and then <laughs> and then his yeah. role in Dogma, like The Code uh, of the Road. Right? <laughs> the unwritten book of the road. <laughs> but I'm gonna put this out there that I think if ever, ever I had to, with a gun to my head, say what is the best ever George Carlin role, this is it. This is it. This is, we're talking about someone who redefined uh, like CRTC rules with the seven dirty words. We're talking about someone who pushed his audiences with his stand-up comedy, not to laugh, but to think, to and to think about why they're laughing. We're talking about someone who arguably might be my favorite stand-up comedian of all time, but this, like, I wish the Academy had the balls to give him an award for best supporting actor, or at least nominate him. Because I think what's being missed is George Carlin is a freaking gem. But this was the side of George Carlin that we didn't get to see in something like Bill and Ted or in Dogma. And I really wish more directors saw this in George Carlin because there's so much heart in him in this. And Kevin Smith, aside from writing a very good role, is a genius for putting George Carlin in that role. Bar none. You recast that today and we're reviving George Carlin from the grave and making sure we can, well, we can have Bernie's him so he can be in Jersey Girl too. That's that. No one takes that role. None. No one. He was that good. I will now step off my soapbox. (laughs) See what happens when you give me a Snickers bar? I get all passionate and happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if that's what you want to call it, I was going to offer you a Snickers. (laughs) But I don't disagree. I do not disagree. And I can recognize that you're very passionate about that statement because... You're absolutely right. Um, I, I I don't know, though. I, I truly saw that Rufus in Bill and Ted had quite a lot of heart. He really took care of those boys and and he wanted to see them succeed. Mm-hmm. He wanted, he knew that 
you know, their their fate would save the world. So yeah, but he cared. I, but I like, think Rufus was more cool. But but Ollie's dad. Well, there was way more opportunity to build that character, though. Hmm. And and that's the thing too. Like, like I, I want to get to J Lo next, and, and there's a reason why. Like, look, we could talk about Geely till the cows come home. But let's not. We're not here for that. <laughs> right. Till till the bull till the bull cow comes home. Okay. But before they find out that she's pregnant in this, I'm watching this and I'm watching the way she is with Affleck. And more importantly, I'm watching the way she is with George Carlin. And the scenes with her being introduced to Ollie's dad and how she's like, no, I'm going to go to the bar and you're going to wash the dishes and all. And I'm just like, oh my God, she's playing along with George Carlin. George Carlin made J-Lo like her performance even better and anytime and i've said this before anytime anyone whose mere presence on screen makes everyone better around them like kudos to george carlin for that because i found that jlo actually um quite quite good in the the limited amount of screen time that she got like even the death scene right where uh, you know, they're pretty sure like she had an aneurysm during a contraction kind of thing. It wasn't like an overblown um, Paul Rubens and Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of death scene. Um, it was very much like just uh, like you could almost like see a snap and it was just so. So happening in the background, which I think made it even even harsher because it's just like, oh, wow, like, oh, 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 and your your heart kind of sinks in your stomach kind of thing, but which. I don't know about you, right? When we first saw this movie, we weren't parents. We're parents now. This movie hits way harder and way different as we're re-watching this. You're damn right. And Do it, not watch it at work. That's my disclaimer. <laughs> like, uh, as a movie on its own... It's a good movie. Especially as a mom, having gone through childbirth, mm-hmm. do not watch this movie. <laughs> right? Like, like there's At the thing. work or around people. Like, any critic that poo-pooed on this movie, I, I wonder if they had kids at the time. Because when you're a parent, right, a movie like this, like, when we watch it, it's like, oh, okay, it's 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 a Kevin Smith film. It's okay. It's like, oh, hey, you know, Benifer, uh, you know, like, and we're watching it. And it's there. And we, we still appreciate it for what it was. But then you become a parent. And you watch it. And you start to feel every single emotion that Kevin Smith wrote into that script. And you find yourself at the end going, where's the snoochie poochies? I need something. Uh, I'm not okay. I think... I think even from a parental perspective, it gave a lot more clarity to George Carlin's performance. Mm-hmm. You know, because you see that your kid is hurting mm-hmm. and you also see the string of mistakes that he's making. Mm-hmm. And, you know... <laughs> As much as he wanted to help, and he did, he would, you know, take care of the baby while he knew that mm-hmm. Ollie was so distracted and, and grieving, let's be honest. But he was also not afraid to call him out for becoming an asshole. Oh, I mean, there's that scene and, where, where Affleck is having to, to chase his dad down with the kid in the car kind of thing, because he's got the, you know, he's about to go do the Fresh Prince thing, right? And, you know, there's that tough love where like yeah he's got to get on with his life too yeah right and it's the kind of it's the kind of move that ollie needed because you know you know that that can't be easy well that's the thing is had george carlin's character as the father had he kept enabling the behavior it would have Mm -hmm. never changed it needed to come to that you know like sudden halt where Ollie realized that he has to man up, Mm -hmm. you know, like he has no one else to turn to at this point 
it's him and this little baby that he has to take care of. And there's this little, there's this little scene and it's, uh, you know, I, I know it's designed as an Affleck scene and, and, you know, kind of pushing forward Ollie's, um, turn around things. Uh, and it's when, it's when he's talking to baby Gertie after losing his job and coming home and, you know, kind of making that mental, that mental point of, you know, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be the best dad kind of thing. And George Carlin's just sitting on the stairs and listening and not interrupting and just taking in the moment and kind of knowing that he's going to be okay. And, you know, I, I know, you know, when you watch it on film, you don't really take it as, you know, such a big deal. Right. But to any parent who's just sat on the stairs and listened to their kids play together or something like that, or, you know, just listen to them just talk like, or even just kids talking to their stuffies or something like that. There's just something about the dad sitting on the stairs and being there, but not interfering kind of thing, like letting, letting the realization do the work for him. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool moment. That's a very very cool moment. There's there's a lot of those really really deep moments that I think, you know, kind of go unnoticed when you when you first watch this. But when you watch it later on in life and you find yourself, you know, as a parent with kids, and you know, once you get through the, and then 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 you can really appreciate everything that Kevin Smith put into this. Oh, absolutely. I think there was a lot of, um, you know, bringing to light or dealing with um, coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. you know, where it was always said that um, Ollie's dad was an alcoholic and hitting a bottle. Oh, oh, that's cute. You both get a bottle at eight Mm o'clock. You know what? I think that was very much his coping mechanism. That was his way to get through the loss of his wife mm-hmm. and whereas with Ollie you know he tried to continuously be the workaholic I think that was almost kind of a coping mechanism of something that yeah. some greater pain people who are going through tragic moments in their lives like tragic moments of loss and grief they're going to cling to something that they know right some people cling to work. Some people cling to beer. Some cl- people cling to um, like exercise or whatever the case may be. What, whatever allows them to be able to cope and to kind of push those feelings down. Some of it's healthy. Some of it's not. But all of it is a coping mechanism. And then this, this is not a judging thing, but it's but it's a reality. Like this, this is a very blue collar family. Even though Ollie's job in New York was very, you know, fast lane, white collar kind of stuff. But the roots of that family are, are very, very Jersey, right? Very blue collar. And I, I think it's one of those things where that grounding saved Ollie and Gertie for that matter. Let's talk about Gertie though. Raquel Castro. First note I have on here tiny tour de force like this is her first film like she had like one tv role kind of thing uh before this but this is her first film and holy did she knock this out of the park she was so so great she was so confident and so like i think Years beyond her age. Mm-hmm. That's a really, really good way of putting it. I mean, we talked a little bit about George Carlin making everyone better around him kind of thing. But I find that Raquel Castro as Gertie actually made everyone better around her as well. Like this wasn't just some, you know, quote unquote precocious kid who's adorable on camera. No. Her personality shone through in this so that it made everyone in this, you know, you know, patchwork extended family really come together and root around her, right? There's, 
know, there's Maya playing the piano kind of thing, even though her and Ollie are just friends, even though she was getting ready to give him a mercy jump kind of thing. Um, you know, there's Ollie who's, you know, still kind of, you know, emotionally coming to grips with the reality of his new life kind of thing. You've got the dad who's still grieving in his own kind of way and his two buds who are like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of Jersey Girl, um, which for the record, I freaking love Stephen Root. I absolutely like ever since news radio, anytime Stephen Root's on screen, I'm like, Jimmy James, <laughs> Jimmy James. I have to admit, I always giddy when I saw him as one of the right? pals. Steve, Stephen one Root. One of the uncles. Stephen Root is a freaking treasure. <laughs> I'm just going to put <laughs> it out there. But, but when you see like this absolutely, I, I'm not even going to say dysfunctional, right? But they're patchwork. It's a patchwork family unit um, built on necessity and emotional leanings, and and Gertie is very much the rally point for everybody. That no matter what anyone's going through, um, she's kind of like the focal point of how of everyone wanting to make sure that she has the best life. And I think that really plays up in the way she acts as Gertie, right? Like just being a kid in New York and going to see the play and getting her grandfather to try to get him to, you know, take what are you going to bring your kid to see the cats? Right. Like, <laughs> I'm just it's like, a musical. <laughs> there, there's no the in cats, which, which again, I find funny when you're watching this now and you realize that cats was an absolutely horrible, horrible, horrible film, which I really don't want to go down that road one day, but like, she she's a gem in this. She really is. You know what I think it was really helpful to her character and to the storyline that she never met her mom. And if you were saying that there was a 45 minute cut where the thought of even if her mom passed away while she was an infant, mm-hmm. um there would have been that loss that I almost not not that the young Gertie wasn't wasn't sad about not having a mom however she never experienced the grief of losing her mom or she never had that opportunity to have that connection yeah, all she had of her mother was the picture that that her dad put on the mobile and she of course she held close to her heart clearly and all the stories that she would constantly ask her dad about her mom kind of thing. Um, like these are all like this movie is a gut punch, right? Like an emotional gut punch. And if you don't hug your kids a little bit tighter at the end of this film, uh, clearly you weren't watching it properly. Um, but yeah, she's, she's, she's so good in this. Um, Jason Biggs is Arthur you know we, we we joke around about the you know the the apple pie thing from American Pie kind of thing and you do one movie and one pie <laughs> I'm the pie <laughs> 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 but I want to I want to go back to one of our previous episodes here and not to get other people to listen to you know past episodes of the show which you absolutely should because you know our podcast is phenomenal um just just saying just saying but I remember when we were talking about America's Sweethearts and we were talking about Seth Green's role as as Lee's assistant to that in that film and how there was a there was a a youthful naivety in in what Seth Green brought to that role Um, I think with here Jason Biggs brought a very not naivete and not ambition in a bad way but an, uh, an exuberance for what it is that he's doing, you know? So when he moves on to his own agency and he has the ability to help out the guy that got him started, like, you know, like it, it could have been one of those things where it's like, yeah, no, people still talk about the Fresh Prince like it's a verb kind of thing. And, but, but there's that moment where he's just like, I've been waiting for this moment to be able to help you out. And it's just like, the world needs more people like that. Absolutely. I mean, even when Ollie was let go from the firm, like he was 
hugging him and just not afraid to show how much it's it's impacting him how much he you know mentored or not mentored but he looked up to Ollie mm-hmm. you know you could see that he really wanted to be like him and to see his career coming to an end yeah so so horribly and tragically um for Ollie that you know like it like was hard epic, epically, epically is, is definitely a way yeah. to, to go about it, it there. Was, it was definitely a, an epic crash and burn mm-hmm. and I just found it so funny that it was Will Smith like oh my god <laughs> um you know and and at the time or at least the timing of the movie where mm-hmm. they're talking about you know him as uh DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince <laughs> and the Fresh Prince and being like, what kind of a, a an acting career is he going to have anyways? Yeah. Right. Like, the, like, <laughs> the, like this is pre Independence Day Will Smith that they're talking about, which which is kind of funny in comparison. Like, I know they were originally thinking of Bruce Willis for this, but I mean, let's be honest, Bruce Willis was already freaking Bruce Willis. Right. It would not have been the same because no. he didn't have. Uh, Ollie was a music producer, was he, or a music? No, I mean he, he, he was a press flack, right? And you know, I guess dealing more with musicians, right? But I mean, you know, and the fact that you know Will Smith at the, at the time was transitioning from film to to movies and whatnot. I mean, like, which is funny now that he's been banned from the Oscars, like quite recently right it just makes it so much more i mean when, when you funny. think about, when you think about bruce willis at that time this is when he's you know he's doing some good films but he's also putting out the return of freaking bruno which you know say what you will about that album you know and then the second album that he put out as well which why but like we're not talking anywhere near like the pop culture phenomenon that 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 Will Smith was and still is. I mean, the only way they could rewrite it would be to mention like from moonlighting to yeah. into movies. Yeah, because from moonlighting to Die Hard. Yeah, and it was around that time that Return of Bruno came out. I mean, you know, you think about some of the stars around that time that had music out and was putting music out, like maybe Patrick Swayze. Right, because he had a couple of songs on the the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. She's like the wind, you know. And then, uh, yeah, you're 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 sitting there going, "Don't ever sing again." I, I, <laughs> I can see you now. But I mean, like even like Eddie Murphy had Party All the Time. Don Johnson had Heartbeat. Right, like there's there is a cavalcade of actors that have put albums out. That oh dear God, <sighs> William Shatner. Oh. <laughs> Lucy in the sky with, with diamonds. diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, let's let's be honest here. Like, and we're t- the time that this is happening. Like, again, just before Independence Day comes out. Like, as far as the movie setting goes, you know, Will Smith is arguably the biggest thing in multiple forms of entertainment. Uh, it, it, there is no one else. I don't think. That, that it could have been like not not even Alanis not even Alanis because when you think about Jagged Little Pill came out uh when did that come out was it 91 or 93 I'm trying to remember it's black it's blacking out at this point yeah I don't know maybe Snoop Dogg uh I don't even think he was really acting at that point yeah. Vanilla Ice maybe Oh, right. <laughs> That's really grabbing at straws. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, we what else we're going to do Andrew Dice Clay, get the adventures of Ford Fairlane out there. But no, I, I think it had to be Will Smith. And like that whole scene where they're, where they're sitting at the, the, the agency and they're having that little conversation, you know, at, at no point did Ollie say, yeah, you're the one that ruined my career kind of thing. It's just one of those. But he didn't. But he No, no. Ollie ruined Ollie his ruined career. Ollie ruined his own career. But I think there was there was a very sweet moment, and I think Will Smith really played that well. I found it was interesting that they kept in the line, you know, now we're even, right? Yeah, well, I mean... And I'm like, I, I was watching it like, is he going to reference that he was the, 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 the press Will, agent? The Fresh the, Prince, yeah. Yeah. But no, no, 
just just kept it as well i didn't see your your irobot movie which i i find it funny that that will smith was like oh yeah i know it's a bad movie like i liked irobot come on <laughs> but then again i also i also like isaac asimov books but that's just me um okay this 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 needs to kind of be out on front street here we, we need to talk about the one person that we don't see in this film kevin smith Kevin Smith made a, a career out of really two characters, Jay and Silent Bob. And this film is such a departure from that. And even though it's sprinkled with a lot of Kevin Smith isms in the script and a lot of his friends in smaller roles, putting aside the critical acclaim for Chasing Amy. And for the storyline, and for some of the, some of the the, the angles that they broached in that, because it really was a, a very strong representation uh, of LGBTQ. Um, I think that if you're really going to push a movie that proves that Kevin Smith is a really, really good writer and director, this film is up there. If you're grading this in the pantheon of Kevin Smith films, where do you put it? Well, that's, I don't know if that's a fair question because it's so different. It's such a standalone from the others. Okay, let's put it in a different way then. I know Kevin Smith has been doing some things with like Supergirl and stuff like that. Like he's starting to branch out a bit more as far as, you know, the genres that he is directing or writing. Should Kevin Smith revisit the idea of doing these, you know, emotionally heartfelt films? I personally love this movie. And if he has more like this one, Mm -hmm. um, then all the power to him. However, I think what made this movie so good is the actors and... I don't, I mean, obviously, George Carlin being... No longer with us, yeah. Not an opportunity. Like, I mean, who knows, right? Who knows what the future holds? Mm -hmm. And I think that Kevin Smith can do anything that he sets his mind to. I mean, he has such a range. Mm -hmm. And he's just so good at what he does, obviously, that... To make this movie so raw and emotional. Um, And again, this one is a standalone. Like, there is no way that you could rank Kevin Smith films and include Jersey Girl in that because it's just so different. It doesn't compare to The Clerks, The Jane Silent Bob, Dogma, Mulrats. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just... I think if you're in look, a league of its own, I think if you're taking a look at this, and you know, you know, if Kevin Smith ever listens to this podcast, first of all, hi Kev, um, but I think he even he would appreciate the comparison I'm going to make. When you think of George Lucas films, right, first thing that comes to mind, of course, has to be Star Wars, right? Uh, there's probably a small handful of people who say THX 1138, which is again another sci-fi epic type of film uh, i'm sure there's a there's a small handful of deranged people that would the first thing they would say is howard the duck oh yeah i fall under that right is, i was gonna say is it bad that i'm thinking howard the duck howard the duck <laughs> um that being said though a small selection of people would come out and say american graffiti American Graffiti is far and away vastly different than anything else that George Lucas is really kind of known for. Um, But to some people, it might actually be um, like, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll say this right now. I'm a massive Star Wars fan. You know, I haven't really watched, you know, I haven't watched American Graffiti in a long, 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 long time. But I'm sure there are some people who look at that and go, well, this might be his magnum opus. And, but that's just based on what they like. 
there's i'm sure there is a there is a percentage of the population of kevin smith fans out there that look at this and say this is his pinnacle of filmmaking uh and and i think it, it, it wouldn't be wrong in saying it's one of his it's one of the movies with the strongest set of characters that he's ever written did he write Catch and Release, or was he just no, he an was, actor? No, he in was that? just an actor in that. So he had nothing to do with the production. The no, no, no. He he was just you know there there to look sexy. Huh. Yeah, I, I went there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can I say? It's goatees. No, um, but no, he he did not write that film. He did not direct that film. I think in the pantheon of films that he has done, I think this has the strongest character set of all the films. And I think it may have the most heart. And that's, that's a tribute to the man himself, Kevin Smith. Um, but now it's time. It is time. So Carrie, I ask you, who is your MVP of Jersey girl? Oh, I was I have been dreading this question all day. Um I have a tie. <laughs> I'll allow. Okay, George Carlin mm-hmm. and young Gertie. I thought Raquel Castro. I thought Raquel Castro was so, so good. And you know, as I had mentioned before, just years beyond her age. Um uh just the scene, the turnaround between, you know, um, her and the little guy who was also very good. The, <laughs> what was his name? Josh? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway. What, what are your intentions what, with my daughter? Yes. <laughs> and I, I thought that was so pivotal that she was able to turn the table on right? her dad. And so, so Maya, what are your intentions with my dad? <laughs> yeah. oh. How fun was that? Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm just going to say this out right now. I am so glad like after watching this movie that we don't have daughters. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll just put that out there. You're gonna laugh. You're about to laugh hysterically. Bring it. Because my MVP of this film, and I was heavily considering Raquel Castro, but is George Carlin. We absolutely agree that those two are just the emotional center of this film, and this film is. This film is not anywhere near as good as it is if it's not for those two. I, I, a quick little shout out for Kevin Smith for writing a very good uh, film and for directing very well. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot disagree with you that George Carlin and Raquel Castro. I put George Carlin as my as my MVP with just honorable mention to Raquel Castro. But in all honesty, they are both equally phenomenal in this. I have to know. What has she gone on to uh, to do after the fact? She is actually still acting today. Uh, she was recently in the series Money, uh, and she has like three films that are either in pre or post production already. So she's still going. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um. So Carrie. Thank you so much for this. Uh, Kevin Smith, if you're listening, thank you for making a phenomenal film. Jersey Girl is an absolute gem. And to you, our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad. Now, you guys know the drill, okay? Uh, If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or you think is so bad uh, that there is no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast. We will watch it. We will dissect it. And we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Until next time, Carrie, thank you so much for this. Lovely as always. To you, our listeners, yeah, you're lovely too. Uh, We'll see you next time. Take care. to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? 
problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.